Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 701 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today, we're going to talk with Monica, who was diagnosed at three years old, but today she's 61. Monica has a rich life full of interesting experiences, and she's here today to tell us about them. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. You do not have to ask a doctor to go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Join the registry and fill out the survey. That you can do of your own accord. T1D Exchange forward slash juice box. When you take the survey, you're supporting people with type 1 diabetes and the Juice Box podcast. Are you looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip series? It begins at episode 210. And you can also find it at diabetesprotip.com and juiceboxpodcast.com, or in the private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. There's a list of the Diabetes Pro Tip series and all of the series within the podcast. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. InPen is an insulin pen that talks to an application on your smartphone and gives you much of the functionality that you will get from an insulin pump in pentoday.com. The podcast is also sponsored today by US Med. Don't just get your diabetes supplies from anywhere. Get them from US Med. Call today for your free benefits check, 888-721-1514, or you could just go to usmed.com forward slash juice box. US Med always provides 90 days worth of supplies and they give you fast and free shipping. usmed.com forward slash juice box. Are you wearing a headset? I'm wearing, yes, like a ear pod thing, um, earbud, whatever you call it. It's working well. Because the computer I have doesn't have like a plug-in for the other kind. And I was like, oh, crap, I have to, this was before, I have to buy some Bluetooth ones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think you could have gotten an adapter. You were looking for an excuse to buy yourself some nice Bluetooth headphones, weren't you? Yes. <laughs> it gave me a great excuse, and I'm always looking for those. <laughs> it's okay to say that to me. By the way, you are being recorded, so whoever whoever you were hiding the purchase from might hear this one day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really hide them. <laughs> <laughs> the other day, my wife says to me, I bought a sofa. And I went, what? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm like, what's happening? So she's completely overtaken our dining room. Uh, COVID, you know, and mm-hmm. I think she's learned that she likes working from home and she thinks she's uh-huh. going to be doing it at least a number of days a week, uh, forever probably. And, um, yeah. she says to me, I'm, I'm going to get rid of the dining room table, take this light off the ceiling, get a desk and put a sofa in here. And she was just saying it, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah whatever you want to do. And, uh, meanwhile, I was like, where are we going to eat? But it's fine. You know, I guess we didn't really use the dining room that much anyway. Um, and then one day she's like, I ordered a sofa. It's pink. I've always wanted a pink sofa. <laughs> I said, okay, well, uh, 
okay. I didn't even know what to say. I, I, it's not a big it's deal. It's like, well then. I didn't care. I didn't care. Uh, she, yeah. just, she just uh, bought a sofa. Now, I feel like if I would have bought a sofa, it might not have gone the same way. <laughs> may have been questions. I feel like somebody would have been like, let me see this sofa. Why do you think this is necessary? Where is it going to go? Please explain your you know actions. I just, just stood there. I was like, okay, sofa. Anyway, um, Monica, you seem pretty relaxed. So I wrote this little note down that I'm nervous, um, but it was funny to me because um, a number of years ago, I had media training because I would go on TV, radio, et cetera, for the State Dietetic Association. And um, I also spoke to a lot of groups, um, nutrition, just kind of, you know, basic things, but um and I'd always have the little trickle of sweat down my back and then I was good. And then I thought, why am I nervous? I'm, you know, I'm talking to one individual, you know, it's a, it was just a funny thought. <laughs> yeah. No one's ever going to see good. you. Right. You know, the funny thing is, is that if that was local television you were doing, uh, you, yeah. m- you might be talking to more people doing this than you have in the past, but it's still just you and I speaking at the moment. So it's no big deal. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's great. What? I did learn one that the radio um, shows that I did often, I did them around the holidays and, you know, talk about tips and people might call in or might not. I learned that years later, they were still replaying them. And some of them went all the way across the state of Arkansas. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that. But I mean, I didn't care. It was just kind of a funny thing when someone said they heard me again on the radio. And I thought that was like two years ago. (laughs) So I've done the, um, I forget what they call them. But they put me in a room, and mm-hmm. it was like you're on a set, right? And you you were dressed nicely and mic'd up, and it would go back and forth. Like you'd be on like morning television, and then you'd be on morning radio, then morning radio, then morning television. And it would just and I did it for like I think four or five hours straight, and I was dizzied by the time it was over. I did it with a I think with a a nurse practitioner. I don't remember her name. Uh-huh. And uh, we only talked about sending your kids on sleepovers when they had diabetes. And oh, wow. It was just, it was exhausting. I couldn't believe how difficult it was by the time it was over. Yeah. But, well, great that you did it. I'm sure it was appreciated by a lot of people. Oh, you're, you're, I, let me be clear. I was paid to do it. <laughs> just, That's okay. It was an interesting, I, you know, it's funny. It was back around. Do you remember Lily Diabetes had those little Disney books? Yes. They actually stopped. I think Lily and Disney stopped their um, their partnership recently. I don't know if they've announced it yet, but I think it's done. And oh. um, and it was around that first book. It was like Coco's first sleepover or something like that, if I'm remembering it right. And we just mm-hmm. like, I'll never forget getting that call. And, and Lily was like, would you do this? And I said, uh, I, I guess so. So... I went, I went to New York City. I spent the night, got up early in the morning, went to a studio and just talked about sleepovers for five hours. Um, we're not going to do Ugh. that now. Tell me uh, tell me how old you are and when you were diagnosed. Sure. I am 61 years old and I was diagnosed when I was three, which would be 1963. 1963, 61 years old. I have to admit, I thought you had diabetes for a long time. And then when you came on, your voice sounded so young that I thought maybe I read the wrong description for for a person when I sat down. So I'm so lucky that, um, you know, the two gene pools, mom and dad, 
on my mom's side, there was always this youthful appearance and energy and all that. And my dad's side, they just seemed to look older. And my they were my parents were only nine months apart, but people used to mess with him like, who's that young girl you married? You know, and <laughs> they thought there was about a 10-year age difference. And so I'm fortunate I followed mom's side. <laughs> so I, um, great as my dad was, I'm just for the for the other part. Yeah. You just have a great voice. And I wouldn't. Oh, thank you. I would not have been able to guess your age from your voice, which is uh, I, neither here nor there. But that's how it struck yes. me when you jumped on. Um, okay, so you were diagnosed in the early '60s. How old were you again? Yes, three. Three. So Ooh. I is my mom kept so many things, but um, what she told me, my mom and dad are both now deceased. My mom died. Um, uh, a little over a year ago in 2020, and she was 90. So wow. longevity there. Um, but she said um, it, over the years that I started asking for sweet drinks. I don't know if that was soda or what or juice. And um, I began wetting the bed and that uh, that was very unusual. Mm-hmm. One, they didn't, they didn't give us a lot of sweet drinks. There might've been some fruit, like apple juice, orange juice, milk, you know, those kind of things, water. Um, and so those were unusual. And so she took me to the doctor. So I never was like deathly ill and, um, quickly. the cute story. And that I also remember like these, you know, you have flashes of the kids stuff. Um, I never felt bad. So she took me to my, the family doctor, Dr. Folsom. Isn't that funny? I remember his name. Um, and then uh, I don't know what, I think they did a blood test and then they sent me over to children's hospital of Los Angeles. Cause we lived um, in Los Angeles then. And I I'm guessing that the care there was really, really good, but I never felt bad. And during the hospital stay of a couple of weeks, um, they would, they would be looking for me um, because I, there was a chair by, they put me in like a crib and there was a chair by the crib and I figured out how to climb out and I'd go visit what I called the sick kids. And oh. so my mom said, there'd be these paging overhead, you know, looking for me when they came, you know, cause they'd have to go home at night to sleep. But, um, but anyway, it was just funny. Just, you know, I was never, never felt sick. You couldn't think you didn't think of yourself that way. What's that? Even at a young age, you didn't think of yourself that way. Did that carry through your life? Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, I've, I mean, I've never felt funny about and talking about being diabetic, but I also never, that wasn't my first thought. Okay. You know, I, I was a tomboy. I was active. I going through these records that my, um, sister-in-law sent when they packed up my mom and dad's house. I was in every imaginable play, tumbling, everything um, from, you know, as young as you were able to, my mom signed us up at the different, you know, little theaters and parks and rec and whatever kinds of things were available to us. Yeah. And I'm assuming that your management allowed you not to really think about diabetes too much, right? Because you were probably just getting, I mean, was that even... That wasn't even regular an MPH at that point, right? That was, was that beef and pork? It was beef and pork. And I don't know which one I was on. I was on one shot a day and it was, um, it was not, I remember your other person you interviewed not too long ago was talking about lenti and semi lenti. I yeah. was never on that. Okay. Um, 
And they they use these glass syringes that they stored in a metal pan that had a lid on it and there was alcohol in it. And I heard another one of your interviews or somebody says that they boiled theirs. I'm sure they did that too. But between boilings, it was in this metal pan. Okay. And that stayed in the master bathroom or the bathroom attached to the master bedroom. And um, I also found, again, my mom, I guess, semi-hoarder, um, the dietitian's notes of how to feed me in essence. And they followed the TAG, total available glucose method, which accounts for, they calculate glucose effect from carbohydrate, protein, and fat. And that was in 1963. Interesting. Yes. And um, my mom had the records from 1963 and 1977 that the dietitian had given her. And there was a couple of questions. My mom was a health nut. So asking about tofu at some point, (laughs) Um, grilled liver was on my food list. Uh, (laughs) Somewhere in there, I must have had that. (laughs) I was going to say that doesn't sound good. Did your mom keep the syringes or the vials or anything? Um, I don't, I don't have any of those okay. um, because so we've, we lived in Southern California for a long time, but then there have been several moves following that. So um, I think in the course of some of those moves, those things didn't follow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and uh, I, I don't know. I can't remember at what point I went from one shot to more. But I have, you know, you have these little flashes of things. So I remember we were struggling with blood sugar. I must have been preteenish, teen, and nobody could explain why. And finally, we ended up with a female physician. Um, and she said, well, it's probably her hormones. And, you know, it, it's just weird how information comes in in those old days in quotes, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so um, well, I, 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 just, I just know I was always able to be super active. I was, I did everything. Do you have, well, I have a couple of questions. So um, first, let me say this before, because it's stuck in my head now. I don't know what episode it was, but I remember someone talking about having broken their glass syringe and that it, <laughs> and it being a, like a significant financial strain on the family and they didn't know what to do. So they actually went to the pharmacist who gave them another and then put them on a payment plan. And then their, mm. and their parent had to show up at the pharmacy weekly and put a little money on it. Like it was almost like layaway that you got to take home with you. Oh my. Yeah. Um, and Monica, you're banging something on the desk. Um, I don't no, know. you're not fidgeting or touching things. Oh, I did take one sip of a drink. Oh, you're Sorry. Allowed to do, no, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> and I guess when I set it down, it must've come through. Very huh. loud. Yes. Yes. Um, that don't worry about that. And so, but I'm always really interested about your remembrance of how you tracked your health back then. Were you peeing on sticks or what were you doing? It is. I mean, you think about, so the dark age thing, it's comical, but my dad had some mathematical formula and lucky for us, he got his bachelor's degree in mathematics and he'd always been doing that or engineering type things. But, um, he was given some formula and I just remember him taking the dipstick results. Okay. The dipstick. So you're, you're either showing ketones or you're not, I mean the dipstick. And um, so the urine dipstick, he plugged some number in somewhere. They came up with 
how many of these total available glucose grams I was going to eat and the resultant amount of insulin. And I just remember him standing in, in the bathroom. He had some little log book, notebook, something there, and he would run his formula. I don't have any record of that. I just, you know, again, young kid watching your dad while you wait on your shot. <laughs> so your father figured something out on his own to help you. The, I think the hospital taught them something. Okay. But it was a lot of and math the, and. Yes. A lot of figuring. But no technology and periodic go to the family doctor and get your blood drawn. Were you, and I have. Yeah. Were you yeah. getting. You, so there was no blood draws to, to track your health. Was there. I mean, were you peeing on sticks to get colors? Yes. Okay. Yes. And what did they, yeah. what are those colors? I see. I'm always amazed by this because the color would tell you you were too high or too low, but then there was no next step to take, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> That's why people. And the blood draws it. were at the family doctor. I don't know the frequency, but they, I'd go in there and they'd find out my blood sugar periodically. Yeah. And that, that wasn't, was that an A1C even back then? No. It wasn't, right? No. No, no, no. A1Cs were not like till the 80s. 80s. That's what I keep thinking. And my brother was diagnosed with type 1 in 1975. So they lived dark ages for probably seven, eight years oh, also. Wait a second. So your your brother older or younger brother? Younger. I've got an autoimmune family. I've got psoriatic rheumatoid arthritis with my older sister. And I've got uh, type 1 diabetes with my brother. Younger. How bad's that arthritis? Like to live. She's with. in rough shape. Um, unfortunately, she carries some extra weight. Um, she also has um, hypothyroid. She has all matters of stuff, and I'm not sure she's had all the right testing done. Mm -hmm. I was texting with her the other day because I was listening to your your doctor, that's the specialist in thyroids, and I figure I gotta keep learning on that side. Try to. Help I didn't me. even realize all these other autoimmune stuff were tied back to the Together. T1D people. Yeah. I had no idea till I started listening and seeing, I guess I just lived in this pretty good world. It didn't happen to me, you know? Yeah. I'll say this, that I don't know a ton about the arthritis, but um, I can tell you that if her thyroid isn't well-managed, then she could be having pain, joint pain, stuff like that. They might not be helping the arthritis. Yeah. You know, um, could be making things worse at the very least. Yep. I plan to, I plan to talk further with her and we'll try to figure out next steps. But, um, cause I think that somewhere there's missing puzzles. She has really severe asthma. She has a number of things. Asthma too, huh? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Interesting. How old is she now? She's two years older than me. Then so you. she'd be 63 and my brother is five years younger than me. Okay. Um, did you and your brother have any kind of kinship around diabetes or were you, I mean, you would have still been in the house when he was diagnosed, right? It, um, so sort of, um, so what happened, I was 15. So I was, I was talking to him in last month or so, and I was just asking him questions too, because there's stuff that I don't remember. And I said, so keep in mind when I ask you these things, one, I'll, we, I got moved with my dad temporarily to Virginia, not because of a separation of my parents. It had to do with jobs, but um, my brother was diagnosed right before that. And I'm 15. I'm a rotten teenage brat. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm a girl going through hormones. I'm in high school, living my life. And so I'm not, he's my little brother. If you know what I mean? Not that I didn't care about him, I think but I it's did, just yeah. kind of, it's just kind of how it is with siblings. And I remember um, they, he had a one year honeymoon period and all the only thing that I can clearly remember about that is they told my mom, just don't give him ice cream at night. And if you do give it to him during the day, so then let him play it off, run it off. And so he got to go along for a year without insulin. And somewhere in there, uh, my family, my mom and my brother moved to join my dad and I in Virginia. And um, he ended up with a really good endocrinologist at Georgetown because we were so near DC and um, he's always done really, really well too. Interesting. So you guys, so your parents had some background, a number of years, in fact, and then they got another child diagnosed and then they got a different kind of medical uh, backup. Did, did you see his care being much different than yours? U.S. Med takes over 800 private insurers and they accept Medicare nationwide. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and they always provide 90 days worth of supplies. U.S. Med carries everything from insulin pumps and diabetes testing supplies to the latest in CGMs, like Freestyle Libre 2 and Dexcom G6. Better service and better care is what you're going to get from U.S. Med. Head over there now to usmed.com forward slash juicebox or call 888-721-1514 to get your free benefits check and to get started. You're going to get white glove treatment at U.S. Med. They are the number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide, the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash. They're where we get Arden's Omnipod 5 supplies from. They also are the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre Systems nationwide and the number one rated distributor in Dexcom customer service satisfaction surveys. Come on, usmed.com forward slash juice box. Everybody gets their diabetes supplies from somewhere and everybody knows how much of a pain it can be. U.S. Med says they're going to give you better service and better care than what you're accustomed to. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. And I would like to tell you a little bit about it. The InPen is an insulin pen, but it's not just an insulin pen. Yes, it has a cap, and yes, it has a needle, and a cartridge, and a little window where you can see how much you're dosing, little knob you twist at the end, and a button you push, and it's an insulin pen, right? Just like you expect. But here's the stuff you don't expect. How about an app on your cell phone that shows you reports, easily shareable reports, with data that is generated for up to 90 days? InPen can do that because it's connected to that app by Bluetooth. The InPen app is also going to give you an activity log so you can see a list of recent actions, including doses, meals, and glucose readings. Your active insulin remaining is right there on the screen with that InPen app. See how much insulin is still working in your body. And InPen has a dosing calculator to help you take the guesswork out of dosing your insulin. The app uses your glucose levels and a carbohydrate estimate 
to recommend the dose that's right for you. That sounds like a thing you get with an insulin pump. It even considers the amount of insulin that's still working in your body to help you avoid lows. InPenToday.com forward slash juice box. Want a digital logbook? InPen has that. Want carb counting support? Oh, well, the InPen app can help you estimate carbs based on your meal size. There's also a fixed dose option that allows you to choose the same carb amount for a specific meal each day. Seems too good to be true? It isn't. InPenToday.com forward slash juice box. Head over there now. Get started today. There are links in the show notes of your podcast player and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to the InPen, US Med, and all of the sponsors of the Juicebox Podcast. When you click the links, you're supporting the show. InPen requires a prescription and settings from your healthcare provider. You must use proper settings and follow the instructions as directed where you could experience high or low glucose levels. For more safety information, visit InPenToday.com. Yes. Um, when he went to, so first of all, he was on two, two types of insulin, but they were still, he said, purified pork was his initial, um, long acting. And, um, he, uh, he went to this doctor at Georgetown and the doctor told him, here's my plan. And it was kind of rigid, um, carbohydrates distributed through meals and snacks Uh, The rest of his food intake, because he was growing, so he was 11 almost at that point, um, is whatever you want, protein or vegetables or, you know, other things can fill in the gaps. But he basically told my brother and my mom, but my brother, because he wanted to influence him, if you don't do what I tell you, you won't be able to be my patient anymore and something to the effect of, and I'm really good you know, and, and, and I believe because of how well my brother did, he was probably kind of accurate in that. No kidding. And so he just sort of gave him the, the high school football coach version of like, you're going to do it my way, or you don't get to be, Uh you don't get to be on the team. Uh And did he have better outcomes than you? Or are we still not measuring outcomes at that point? We're not right. 75. We're not measuring anything. Um, uh, I think that, I mean, he probably had some more hypoglycemia, but hard to know, but like me, I mean, he played sports, he played soccer that traveled up to Canada and all over. He, he just did well. I was in a Girl Scout troop that backpacked all over Southern California. Hmm. We would be in the mountains, the desert, the beach, you name it. We were camping out and I did that. And, um, and I don't remember episodes of hypoglycemia through that, I tried to ask my sister because she was older than me. Do you remember me having any struggles like that? She's like, no. Um, And she didn't remember what I carried to help me. Um, She remembers my mom giving me juice, you know, here and there. But um, I I only have one. Oh, sorry. No, no. I was going to say, when you're doing those one shots, if you're eating, there's probably not a ton of opportunity to be low. Um, and your, I mean, cause what do you think your A1C probably was? I don't know because the first one I got, um, 
well, I don't know what it was, but I know when I wanted to get pregnant with my daughter, um, which was, she was born in 88. Um, I knew I had to have two under seven A1Cs and I worked out continuously and I achieved that and I planned my pregnancy carefully. Luckily for me, things worked that way. And um, I was able to have her at the right time. She was only born four days early. Um, She was seven pounds, normal size, you know, all the things went right. So um, let me take a tiny bit of a a detour here for a second. I just had, you ever have those shocking moments when you realize you're older than you think you are? (laughs) Yes. It happened to me a moment ago when you, who are 61 years old, told me that your daughter was born the year before I graduated from high school. (laughs) But in my mind, you're 61. I know this is stupid. I'm 50 and you're much older than I am, except you're not. (laughs) And, and And I like it. I didn't stop my heart, but it froze me for half a second. You were like, she was born in 88. And I was like, oh God, why am I so old? Uh, I think about all that time because my daughter is 33 years old. And I'm like, no way. How? Yeah. And even when I hear that, I'm like, oh, her daughter's kind of getting older. (laughs) You know, 17 years younger than me. Uh, But (laughs) that really took me for a loop. Uh, So what really stuck to me was, is that you had an A1C in the eights, I'm guessing, and you exercised your way into the sevens? I, I don't really know what it was Prior. before. All I know is I had I've always exercised. So that makes it sound like I I overdid it. I just made sure that I didn't miss any consistency. And I um I always ate pretty well, but all of us have our little things now and then. Um, but I did. I did have a turning point with a uh, uh, when I was a dietitian in Washington D.C. that made me really focus on my eating, but I'll tell you that in a second. And so I just made sure that I wasn't over seven by being a little extra careful. Mm-hmm. And then the next time I have record of an A1C is when I went on my first pump in 1992, and it was my baseline before the pump was 7.8, so not terrible. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, Any of your, how many children do you have in total? I just have her um, because in spite of the fact I did maintain really good um, blood sugars and A1Cs and all those now granted, because we don't know what things like time and range were then um, I was pretty clear of any problems, side effects, anything. And then I was in, my somewhere in my pregnancy with her and I was working at Johns Hopkins oncology center. And, um, I needed, I went to see the eye center there, which is world renowned. And they decided I needed a little lasering to, to keep my eyes good. There was some beginnings of retinopathy. So I did that. I had her, I start jogging to get back, you know, the pregnancy weight off and, I had a little, a little retinal bleed and I went in and I'm like, what the, Hey. And I said, I thought I was so good. And they just said that the way my little capillaries grew around my eye, it made them more fragile to the jarring movement. I don't know, but I was jogging. And, um, so they, they treated me again and then I was stable pretty much forever. Retinopathy has been my only side effect, but I have full sight 
I just, you know, have had to keep on it and yeah. keep treating it. it. It's interesting to listen to somebody talk about that many years ago, because, you know, when you're, you're saying, but, you know, I got it into the sevens, it was good, you know, that whole thing. I think now pregnancy, they want you in the low, like in the fives or <gasps> to be pregnant. Right. Yeah. Those were those days, of yeah, course. No, no, it's and, but I'm saying, yeah. I, yeah, I'm not judging it. I just think it's interesting to hear it. And it's, it's good of you to talk about the retinopathy issue, too, because even though that was a standard and everyone, I'm guessing, based on technology, this was kind of the best anybody could do. But you still ended up having an issue with it. And because there are people nowadays who hear, well, like, I have a seven, I'm okay. And I'm like, well, mm. for, for now, maybe, you, you know, like, and, and um, there's all this stuff that you could be doing or or ways to understand your insulin better that could put you in a situation where maybe you're not getting your eyes lasered one day, you, you know? I know. Yeah. How, what was that experience like? Um, it was, I mean, it wasn't terrible. It's just, um, depending on how much they did at a time, I might have a nagging headache afterwards, but I normally drove myself to and from, I didn't, you know, it wasn't hmm. something that took away my day. Okay. And, um, and it helped. Did I, it stop the progression? For the most part. And then, um, so fast forward, I'm living in where I live now in Arkansas. And um, I had just been to the, um, to see the um, ophthalmologist. Mm -hmm. My eyes were good. My A1C, because once I got on the pump, my A1Cs um, stayed like five, three, five, five, up to low sixes. I think I might've hit a six, seven, six, eight occasionally. Mm -hmm. Um, this is without CGM, but, um, so I had like a massive bleed in my left eye and I, I just like the day after I'd been to the eye doctor and I just, I got on their emergency line. I'm like, what in the world? So they, um, they told me, you know, raise your head up, do this, do that. And all the blood cleared. And ever since, I think there's probably been somewhere in there, there's probably a little more laser treatment. It's kind of hard to remember before or after that. But um, every time I go now, um, and I only go once a year to the specialist, the retinal specialist, he's like, you have a perfect macula. Everything looks so stable. They're always pretty amazed. Hmm. But again, but that's that because I've kept my control good. Yeah. You did get it lower too. And you know, as the technology, I mean, you did what I think is the greatest thing, you know, as the technology became available, you didn't shy away from it. And mm -mm. yeah, that's mm -mm. I think really important, honestly. Hey, you, um, what did you, and what did you do for a living as an adult? So I have, um, I graduated, um, from the university of Connecticut with my, um, bachelor of science in clinical dietetics. So I became a dietitian. Mm -hmm. And, um, I did clinical work, um, for a while. And then, um, I ended up getting with, I always liked the idea of being with corporations because you had job advancement opportunities. So I ended up with a, um, nursing home corporation and I kind of covered like a lot of the, um, East coast, Virginia, Maryland, DC. I went to their nursing homes and did sort of quality assurance and some charting and just made sure they were feeding people appropriately. And somewhere in there, the people that were in charge of writing the menus, and this was a large company, there were like 1200 nursing homes, um, wanted to um, 
moved the position out of uh, a dietitian's basement in Pittsburgh <laughs> into the corporate office that had opened in Arkansas. And so they start talking to me about it because I, I've always, I, this is going to sound very braggy, but I'm, I'm pretty smart. You know, I do pretty well. I can stay organized. I, um, so those things were recognized by other people. Yeah. And um, so I applied and they moved me into um, here in their headquarters, which it doesn't, the company doesn't exist anymore. It eventually went away, it got bought and this and that, but um, they uh, had me run their menu program, which I had to supervise like dietitians in certain regions to make sure the food matched the food preferences mm-hmm. of the people that lived there. Monica, are you, and that was, are you telling me that you followed your husband to Virginia? So he had to follow you to Arkansas? I okay, so <laughs> I am on my third marriage, oh, which I've okay. been in twenty years. You left but, him in Virginia. Um, <laughs> I so I I left a husband back in Maryland and um, brought my daughter. She was three and a half to Arkansas, and um, the job opportunity was great because then it could you know help that happen. Gotcha. And um, got here, and you know because in your in your different segments you do things with mental health. I, I did two bad choices. Um, who knows why? Because I'm assertive on the job, but apparently not so in my personal life or wasn't. And so after uh, some therapy, I became the same person across the board, um, you know, assertive, able to speak for myself well. And I always tease my current husband, you're probably sorry I got all that therapy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Of the three of them, you're having the least good time, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Although he's hung with me 20 years, so it's all good. But you talk, um, how old yeah. were you when you got married the first time? So I was um, uh, 26, I believe. And then my daughter two years later. And then um, she was three and a half when I decided. He, he unfortunately had some problems and drinking and some things that just we needed to go mm-hmm. to for the best of both of us. Yeah. And um, yeah. Talk about for a so, second, though, what you mean, what you meant by not being as assertive. You, were you like just letting things happen that you knew weren't right, or you didn't yes. feel like you had the agency mm-hmm. to speak up, that kind of stuff. So, my um, my parents. So this is what led me to this place. But my parents always tried to help in the communities and things. Um, my dad was active with fair housing in our Southern California town, so that you know, whatever you looked like, you could move into that neighborhood. And it was a super wonderful mix of ethnicities and races and things like that over time. And so in that mindset of helping people, I think I took on the wrong belief that you could not just help them, but fix them. Mm -hmm. So I apparently started to attract to myself fixers, you know, people that needed fixing. Yeah. And instead of just people that could be your partner. And um, I had that happen twice. The first one, you know, you had somebody on the um, the first one because of his alcoholism ended up being somewhat abusive, um, more verbal than physical, but a little physical. And so when I left that situation, I didn't get help right away to get me past that. And it's easy then to fold yourself in with someone else, not exactly the same, but just not right. 
And so those, those things happened, but um, fortunate for me, um, my best friend is uh, like a psychological examiner. So she's got her master's in psychology and she was able to get me to somebody that was really competent and very, very helpful. Kind of so. break you free of the idea that, that you were going to be able to help people who maybe didn't want the help or were beyond the help, or maybe it just wasn't your job to begin with to help them. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's yep. amazing that you did that in, you know, I, I it takes work and yeah. <laughs> stress and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And it benefited your daughter, I imagine. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and my, my husband now, um, he's, he's, just she's a part of the family, you know, because it's been so long. When we got together, his son, he has four children, but his youngest was nine and my daughter was 13. So kind of, you know, they they learned to Get be on. together and yeah, do cool. things. Yeah. Um, does your daughter have any autoimmune issues? Not that we know of at this point. Um, and you know, I um I was taught that, you know, if you, one, you birth them and you breastfeed them, you have the potential to protect them. That may not be true, but, um, I breastfed her for, um, several months, like her attached to me. And then when I went back to work, um, I did pumping so I could keep her on breast milk for almost a year, just, um, frozen, you know, we thought out and give it to her. So I always felt like that was healthy. Yeah. Did you do that? Because somebody told you to or you just had a feeling like it, this could maybe help and and I have diabetes so let's give her the best chance was that the vibe somewhere in there I was told that I cannot remember the exact source um okay. you know again things were evolving in knowledge and all that yeah um can we yeah. take a detour for half a second please you said your mom lived to 90 and uh-huh. you worked in the in the in the system where people are, you know, helping older people live at the end of their life. Did your mom have to live in a facility ever? Yes. Um, let me think. My, and my dad lived to be 87. Um, so my mom had a stroke when she was 78 and she, she was super healthy. I mean, this woman worked out, did yoga, did all kinds of things, but they said, just genetically and it was blood pressure related um uh probably would have happened sooner if she hadn't eaten the way she did and exercise and maintained being quite thin um so she has a stroke my dad's trying to help take care of her and my my sister because i don't they were in northern virginia and i'm now in arkansas my sister was kind of keeping an eye on what was going on and my dad started to be a little different so ultimately we figured out he had Alzheimer's and it just needed, they needed to be somewhere safe for them. So yeah. they moved him into an assisted living place um, initially. And then at, over time, more to a memory care unit in the same facility. And um, so, talk yes. about for a second, what people should be looking for or like, what are some red flags when you're looking at places like that? Um, my sister did more of the research, but we, um, looked at the ratings that the state gives them. Um, we looked at, um, you know, their staffing ratios, what kind of programs they offer, you know, the social programs. And when they're in assisted living, they can often go on um, trips. Uh, you know, they carry them in a van or a bus to activities. So they did theater, they did different things. And 
my parents, because we grew up in California, they always enjoyed wine. And so they do even like little cocktail hour at the assisted living and people had a glass of wine, you know, and some appetizers. So they did a lot of things that fit the lifestyle for them. Mm. Um, By the way, I didn't stay with um, long-term care. Uh, I ended up in pharmaceutical sales. So doing that as well. That's where I spent 22 years also. Wow. I, you know, I just, something rung in my head a minute ago, and I kind of was Googling while you were answering that question. This is uh, interesting. Some people are starting to call Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. Really? Yeah, so I'll read you something from Healthline. Some research studies have proposed that Alzheimer's disease should be also classified as the type of diabetes called type 3 diabetes, uh, a term has been proposed to describe the hypothesis that Alzheimer's, which is a major cause of dementia, is triggered by a type of insulin resistance and insulin-like growth factor dysfunction that occurs specifically in the brain. And if we if we Google Alzheimer's autoimmune New research published in the Journal of Applied Laboratory Medicine identified specific autoantibodies that mistakenly target the body's own tissues in the the cerebral spinal fluid of Alzheimer's patients. Uh, I guess this is a doctor's name, says, adds to the evidence that this might be an autoimmune disorder. Super weird. What is your my your, brother your mom have? has your always done biological research. So tying back to this just quickly, he um, at one of the companies he worked at, they had developed some kind of a, a evaluation to see if you might be at risk with certain things in your in your bloodstream. And he tested himself and my sister, and they didn't match up. And I was like, oh great, I'm the only one you haven't tested. <laughs> Like if one out of five or something can can match, I might be in that mix. <laughs> so I, I meant I'm sorry, I, I, I started to step on you, but I'm glad you finished your thought first. But did your mom have any autoimmune stuff? Um no. Um she had some asthma and then somewhere along the lines, even though she was never a smoker, she ended up with a um a lung cancer tumor that they luckily were able to radiate and stabilize and it never progressed. But that was kind of that's kind of all for her. Um, I don't think that it's categorized yet. <clears throat> Excuse me, this way, but asthma is caused by an overreaction from the immune system to certain triggers. Mm-hmm. So you might not have ever had a chance. You and your you and your brother and your sister, you guys were <laughs> you guys were uh, you you might have been destined for this, you know. Yes. And, you know, there's um, in the town that I live in, there's a um, an osteopathic medical school. And when they first opened up, oh, I think it's been three years ago now, I met the team that was um, going to be instructing the students there. And one of them was, or maybe more than one, was an adult onset type one. And he got approval initially to do research with the people that are adult onset type ones. And I don't know what happened because I don't think they're still at the school. And I was super curious about that because I've, you know, known some people that, you know, had that, but um, I always thought, man, they need to just study broadly these crazy autoimmune families, you know, and 
fit yeah, that I, in the mix too. I, I have talked to enough people at this point where I just think it's, I mean, it's, I, it's, I don't think, I can't say I'm not a doctor. I haven't done a study, but it's fairly obvious, you know, um, that autoimmune can travel in bloodlines and uh, mm-hmm. it's really something. But can I ask you overall, looking back, I mean, you had, di- you've had diabetes for 50, eight, eight years. Jeez. And mm-hmm. um, do you see it as a major impact on your life aside of health or do you not feel that way about it? I never have. Um, like, I, I mean, I just do everything. Um, and, you know, in the last few years, but these are the things that nobody, people make assumptions about longtime diabetics, especially those that have some science backgrounds that we know everything we need to know. But I didn't know all the things we're at risk of, like, and some of your other people have talked about this carpal tunnel, trigger finger, frozen shoulder, all those things. I didn't know there was higher risk because I was diabetic. Mm. I just, you know, I have, I I've had those things, but they're not still present in my life. Like that, you know, they've been fixed or, uh, you know, I do the work to help them go away. But um, I just, I think, well, People need to know at least what to look for and the more the reasons why to take better care of themselves. And I know you think that some of the the people that were without technology always believe hyperglycemia was better than hypoglycemia. But in my family, that wasn't it because we always felt like you can fix hypoglycemia. Mm -hmm. You know, you can drink some juice, you can eat something, but you can't fix that chronic needling away in your bloodstream and your nerves and because, your because you your didn't organs. Have, yeah, you didn't have an insulin that you could just try to correct with. You were stuck waiting no. for the next time to inject, and that was that. But we also, I just, I can't remember a time I wasn't on my bike at the playground playing basketball or football with the boys. Yeah. I just can't remember not doing that stuff. Yeah, you, and I think it... It my my current uh, nurse practitioner says I think that's why you're as good as you are now. She's so active, yeah. Well, I mean, you grew up in a warm place too in the '60s. Yes. So you know, I'm assuming there was a lot of like, bye, mom, and then you come back eight hours later, stuff like that going on, right? I mean, that's what we used to do. Just we'd run out the door in the morning and never come home. So absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. It all makes sense. I mean, activity is incredibly important. It it is. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely helps insulin work better. It helps you, um, that, you know, it helps your digestion and, you know, digesting your food through you, uh, shortens the amount of time that it's in there impacting your blood sugar. I mean, there's all kinds of, of great reasons to be active for certain, for everybody, not just for people with type one. Um, yes. It, now, so you didn't really feel a big impact on your life, but I do, I do want to ask you, maybe I don't care what the answer is. I'm just interested when technology became a part of your life. And I haven't asked you, like you pump or no? Oh, yes. So um, uh, two years ago, 2019, late, um, so it'd be almost this time, um, I got on, so I've been doing technology, but not so much with CGM. Um, I got on a tandem with a Dexcom G6, love, love, love it. Um, and before that, I'd worn a pump since 1992. Um, the model of pump I had, um, before the tandem 
was one of the Medtronic models that did have a CGM associated with it. So if somebody out there gets mad for me saying this, I was on a, a model, like a Paradigm 5, it's an older model. And the then CGM I felt was terrible. So what I, I didn't wear it for the longest time. And then I began to wear it, you'll laugh, but every other week. And I don't know why I picked that random thing, but I just thought at least now and then I can be checking, you know, what it looks like. Um, and so I did that for a few years or a couple years anyway, but I just, I didn't like how it had to be applied, that it only lasted six days, um, just things. Um, so the Dexcom, and I started researching these different CGMs. I also looked in before I changed to the Tandem, I did get a, an Omnipod um, sent to me, the little trial thing. I did several things. I think I wanted the technology of Tandem only had the basal IQ at the time. And then I knew in six months, the CIQ was coming Yeah, and I wanted that. And I didn't like the um, Medtronic system deciding your basal for you and doing all those kind of that auto mode. Okay. Even though I know you can do adjustments with that. Um, and I, no one, no one really taught me and this, so I don't mean to be blaming someone else. You're I'm responsible for me, but um, the pre-bolusing thing was only ever brought up to me on pump therapy once or twice, but in my sales job and some of my other things I did, I tried that and I had so many where I'd fall out the bottom events because of you'd be out eating food, never came different things that I stopped doing that. And I would just dose when I saw the food. And so I probably had the bouncy effects, you know, you go up and then you normalize, you go up and then you normalize. Mm. So the tandem with the Dexcom has given me a lot of information and I really, really value it. And it's the tandem community on Facebook, the private group that led me to you, to your podcast. Oh, I'm glad. That's lovely. I I have a question. Do you think that when you switched from your older pump, and I, oh, by the way, I think this is the part where I say, I'm sorry, Medtronic, I don't control what people think about your stuff. And then we move on (laughs) to where I did not know any of this about Monica, please. Um, And I, I, I actually a- really respect them and their research and their, it, it's just personal preferences. I understand. So that's, their science is good. So Mon- I don't have a judgment on that. Monica, so, this yeah. has just become a running joke in the podcast. That's all. So I, I just have <laughs> to keep it going. Um, but my question is, is it possible that prior to Dexcom and Control IQ, were, is it possible you were running heavier basal than you should have been? So do you remember your basal going down when you got to a CGM? Um, well, so because my age and my life have changed some, the answer is actually no, but, um, but I know like. Cause why I'm I, asking Monica, why I'm asking is I'm picking through the idea of, is it possible that before you could see your, you know, you could see your blood sugar in real time. Um, where you were maybe doing that MDI thing of like a heavier basal to keep your A1C lower and then kind of feeding the insulin before you got low situation and then pre-bolusing wouldn't have worked for you. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I think that, so the old rule that the, the 
the people like the nurse practitioners, they would talk to me about is, oh, you don't want your basal to be greater than 50%. I think that rule has changed a little bit, but um, so mine was sometimes um, 55, 57, something went in there. So you're probably right in terms of their thinking at the time too. Um, but yes. And um, yes. Super yes. interesting. And, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just being able to see your blood sugar is obviously just a, such a game changer, you know, um, at, about making decisions. And then the the algorithm on top of it is probably magical mm-hmm. to you after living with diabetes for this much time. Yes. And my, since I've been on this system, um, my A1C has been essentially five to 5.3. So since two years ago, um, and so that's great. And it's consistent that way. And my time in range is 93 to 95% with um, a standard deviation. Uh, it depends, but sometimes it's 27. I think it's gone up as much as 33, 33 standard deviation, but um, that's really terrific. Uh, yeah, yeah. Always within the acceptable range. And, you know, it's interesting. My brother uses a Dexcom, but he does MDI and we were talking about that and they'd always just looked at his um, A1C and he said he's changed endos and the one he has now was talking about time and range and they ran his and his is like uh, either 95 or 97%. I don't know his standard deviation, but he's, he's done really well. Hmm, Um, It's really cool. It's good. It's amazing. Actually. I mean that you guys have been, you know, persevering like this and doing such great jobs for yourselves and, um, it's even nice that you're still considering looking out for your sister. Um, really, mm-hmm. really wonderful because people need help. You know, that you can't, you can't know everything about this stuff, you, you know, and you, no. you find information and, and, uh, it's, it's great to pass. I mean, you said that somebody from a, a tandem group told you about the podcast. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I don't know. How, okay. I wasn't a Facebook person. And then when, so in, in 2020, I began my dietitian's private practice. I left the pharma and I opened up my own, it's just part-time, but business. So I got on Facebook to do some of the, and Tandem said something about, um, to look at something of theirs, you should go on Facebook. Um, I don't know, it was a video or, or a Facebook live or something. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to get on Facebook. And part of that was a time factor in my old job. I just had too many things to do on a computer and I didn't want one more thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I, so I got on there for dietitians, Facebook lives, tandems, Facebook lives. And then I saw this tandem, um, group and, um, in there people will ask questions a little bit like the Facebook group for juice box. And, um, people would offer their advice of either the sugar surfing book and or your podcast. Oh, yeah. And they might even cite an episode. And I was like, I guess I need to go over and get on that podcast. <laughs> and so I've been just picking and choosing some of the episodes initially. And then I'm ultimately I'll get through all of them. But I chose the ones that would help me best with um the CIQ because I was still struggling with the roly poly thing. You know, sure, I was sure, like, come on. Yeah. Euglycemia is the answer that I want, and I'm only seeing it sometimes. What episodes helped you? Were it the loop episodes about the algorithms, or no? um, uh, the pre-bolusine, um, 
the things like feet on the floor. Cause I would always say to my, um, the nurse practitioner, I see, I get up in the morning, I'm 87. I walk around for a few minutes. I, I didn't always drink water first thing in the morning, which is something I know as a dietitian anyway, but I didn't do it initially. And I'm like up to one thirty. what is going on? You know? And so, so just things like that. And um, just again, though, being able to see it, mm-hmm. you know, and I also started looking at my night times, which are not bad, but I was like, why do I have these little, these little rises and, you know, peaks and valleys they're narrow, but they're in there. So I, I adjusted my basal and it's pretty much straight across now. So good for you. Yeah. That's so cool. I'm glad it was helpful. I really am. If it was helpful at all, it's amazing. Really. It's been really, really good. And um, you and Jenny are amazing and the tips and things. And um, so I went, I mostly referred to things that were related to me and pump therapy. So if there was a pro tip on MDI or something, I bypassed some of that. Um, and you know, so certain things I'd, I'd go past just because I needed specific things. Yeah, no, I understand. I really do. I think that, um, you know, just the, the, the act of listening to the show, I think is helpful. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I would, I could, I, you know, I can make a reasonable argument that even if you listen to the stuff you're not interested in, that there'll be something in it that could help you, you know, meaning like MDI when you're pumping or vice versa. But I take your point. And I mean, it's not like you have, I mean, there are 500 and I don't know how many episodes. I Honestly, I don't know how many episodes there are anymore. There's a lot of them. So, you know, you can't just listen to everything if you don't have the time. Um, but well, I just like, prioritize them. Yeah. It's not really that I don't plan to listen to them. I sort of made, you know, listen to the ones that were going to have more, what I felt like immediate oh. effect. Oh, you like the podcast, don't you? I do. Oh, excellent. Yes. Yeah. What made yes. you want to come on? Um, well, just thinking about, I think, and I said in the, um, the email that just, I feel, um, lucky, but lucky with the fact that I also have, you know, invested in doing things for myself just because I, I came into the time zone that, you know, people didn't do well in terms of 1963, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, matter of fact, I went nine years to a diabetic camp for kids and um, sorry, I'm adjusting my ear thing. It was crawling You're out of fine. my ear. Did I do something? You're fine. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Um, uh, where there are there are people from that camp that I went for years with that are blind, dead, etc. And you know, amputations and things like that. I have a friend in St. Louis from there that just um, got out of the hospital because she was you know, having terrible blood sugars. And so though the people that I was around and, you know, we came through a good camp that was based out of Loma Linda university and taught a lot of good things, but there just weren't, there weren't the technology and things to help make that journey better yeah. like it is now. Yeah. Do you think it can be now? Do you think that the information, I mean, that's an obvious question, but the information from back then versus now was just, it's night and day, right? It's like, there's, I mean, was there anything that you were taught back then that has real value in today's world? I, well, the staying active. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I probably do some of the things you guys talk about with, you know, I've 
kind of think about the too much insulin thing, but I think it back to what I'm eating. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, "Mm, do I need to have that much of that food? Cause it's going to lead me to take a big old giant dose of insulin. I'd probably do that's that's old world thinking. And I probably have a little bit that hangs around, but if I really want something, I'm going to try to figure out how to dose for it (laughs) and forget the amount of insulin. So a good balance of common sense and technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. excellent. I think that's great. Do you have a particular eating style or not really? Um, not really, but what I've what I've done because again, my my life is a little different. Um, so days that I have clients in my office and I'm gonna be in there and sitting for a good portion of the day. I mean, I get up and walk around the block in, near my office because it, you know, it's a decent downtown area. Um I will tend to eat a low carb lunch. So I go get a grilled chicken salad, something like that, where I've always been so active that for fitness reasons, I ate high carb more than 55% of my diet was carbs because of, um, how much I did. I, I bicycled, I ran, I strength trained, I did all of it. So, um, now because I'm a little, little less active age, we, move just a number of different things. I don't have that level of, you know, I don't on a Saturday, go ride 30 miles on my bike anymore. Yeah. So um, that doesn't mean I don't do things. I'm, you know, I do things, but different. So I, so I can give myself the freedom to not think, Ooh, I need to have my glycogen all built up for that long run or ride. I'm okay to eat a low carb lunch hmm. and yeah. think different about it. But I've been playing around with some vegetarianism and like we had something last night I tortured my husband with trying my new ideas um so but you know I don't <laughs> have sure a style was, I'm sure he was thrilled <laughs> I'm sure he was absolutely thrilled um did you like it whatever you made did it end up being good or were you in the same it way? actually was good we just had to um it was um red lentil and sweet potato soup and um so vegan and um it was spicy, but I was like, it's spicy without flavor. What's the deal here? And he's like, it just needs salt. And so, <laughs> you know, I've been trying to cut back on sodium for both of our good health. And yeah. um, so it's finally it's like, just, okay, put some salt in it. Just needs but, salt and some cubed up sirloin steak. And <laughs> so that's the funniest thing about him. So I'll think, oh, I'm going to make a pot of beans. And I'm thinking, you know, onion, celery, jalapeno, something. And he's like, where's the meat? And he literally said, just get me a can of spam. And I about gag when he talks about spam, but he he could eat spam. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I think I've had that as a child. Uh, I think we fried it. Yeah. That's what he said he did too. Terrible. Now I'm thinking back on it. That's really terrible. Oh my gosh. Um, Monica, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you hope to? I was going to say that um, uh, people on both Facebook sites, yours and the um, the one tied to tandem, talk about endocrinologists and, um, oh, you need to get with your endo. So even though I live in what's considered the second or third biggest city in the state, um, we have for more than a decade been lucky if we have one endocrinologist Mm -hmm. lucky which is the situation now so when there were none and i needed to find somebody 
because I was in my um, pharmaceutical job, I, you know, just asked a doctor to the side. I was like internal medicine, you know, would um, I need to find a doctor? I have type one diabetes. Would you be willing to care for me? And almost universally, it was like, "Mm, I'd really prefer not to. And I was saying, well, do you know that I'm also a whole person and I'm over the age of 50 and I need other care, not just the diabetes and I'm stable, you know, and it was really bizarre. So finding good care is a luxury. It certainly is. Yeah, it it certainly is. Yeah. It's not that easy. And that's why diabetes and to be perfectly honest, most health, most health issues that run long term, you need to understand them for yourself. Like you can't just go to a doctor and then shut yourself off and then wait to go back to the doctor again. And then if you have problems, just go on. I mean, I did what the doctor told me, you know, you, you can't, you have to take real agency over yourself and um, you just need to, you just need to, there's, there's no, there's no way around it. You're not going to do as well if you wait for someone else to help you. It's, yes. it's just, it's, it's just, I mean, I've just seen it be true over and over again. And I don't think it has, I, like I said, I'm beginning to see that I don't think it has as much to do with diabetes. It's just in general, how healthcare works and, and not to even say that it's bad, you know, it's, it's, it's cutting edge and it's as probably as good as it's ever been on the planet. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but it's still, people aren't with you every day. They don't have the same concern about you as, as you have about yourself. And, yes. and they see you as a management thing, which is reasonable. And, you know, you're, you're trying to live a life. So taking good care of yourself is, is the best thing you can do. I think that's why the podcast uh, does as well as it, as it does. Uh, yes. You know what I mean? And, and I, I'm happy that it, it was valuable for you or anybody who listens, honestly. And I think that the people saying, oh, you're in, you're doing good or whatever is usually relative to their uncontrolled folks, be they type one or type two. So they're, and I would have this fighting with the endocrinologist when we had like four of them in town. Um, You're saying I'm doing good, but my A1C went up and it's still inside the mid sixes, but it used to be closer to five seven or something. And I was like, you know, we need to adjust something because this, this level of good is not my good. Yeah. Good is an interesting word. I've noticed when talking to people, um, it's always relative. It's always compared to just something that's worse. And no matter what it is, you know, like how are you doing today? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm good. You know, Mm -hmm. your, your leg got chopped off in an accident, but you just saw a guy who lost both of his arms. You're like, well, I'm doing better than the guy with no arms. And it just, it really, it really is, it needs to be, and that's why I always push people on it when they say something like, how's your A1 say? It's good. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even like you, you know, back in the day, they told you, you're seven, you're good. And well, mm-hmm. you know, it could have been better. They didn't know it back then. Um, and you could be in that situation modern day where you're at a practice where everybody's got an A1C you know, sevens or eights and your six, nine looks genius to people. And they're like, Oh, don't do anything. Not, not, mm-hmm. not that I'm telling you your six, nine's bad. It's just, there's room, you know, you can, you can do something about it or your variability, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I think is probably as important. You know, I mean, I, I can't make the distinction for you, but it's as important as your A1C, 
you know, it, it's, you know, you don't want your blood sugar to be bouncing around. And, and the other thing that I believe now, so as more and more people are on the technology. So I said, I'm fortunate the nurse practitioner I see worked in the endocrinology department for years and years and years, and she's a CDE. So she's really on top of things. But I said to her, and she was training another nurse practitioner. I don't know why the postprandial glucose is at two hours for people like me, you, and I wasn't criticizing saying you and people like you should be asking us to be under 140. I mean, preferably lower, but I'm just saying that's a normal person's two hour postprandial glucose mm-hmm. um, can go up to 140. And why we're still using that 180 number as good in quotes um, doesn't make sense in a kind of kind of like a hybrid closed loop. You know, yeah. we're almost like pancreases over here, you know, and and so um, so I'm going to try to talk to you about being under that 140 and actually obviously strive for better than that, but just as putting a lower cap on things. I, I, and yeah, I think I say it here pretty often, but to me, you know, if you get to 140 after a meal, like, okay, I think of 160 as a miss and 180 as a spike. Like, yeah. Like that's how I think of it. Um, yeah. You know, like I'm not saying your blood sugar is always going to be like super 83, you know, 85, 92, 101, you know what I mean? Like it's going to go up. Sometimes you're going to miss on your, on your bolus at times or miscalculate carbs or whatever is going to happen. You can have a site that's going bad. There's a million things that could happen, but it's about, Mm -hmm. to me, it's about stopping it and not letting it get out of hand. And then that's where you run into problems where, you know, people who are, um, haven't been around type one as long or haven't heard about, you know, ideas are going to start telling you, well, you can't stack your insulin. You're going to get low. And, you know, I don't think you should stack insulin either. I'm not saying that. But if you bolus for 45 carbs, reach 130 and your blood sugar shooting up and it turns out the meal was 55 carbs, well, then putting in the extra insulin is not stacking. It's covering the carbs. Um, yeah. but, but it's a, it's a distinction that gets lost on people sometimes. And then they watch their 140 turn into 180 and their 180 to turn into 250 and their 250 turn into 300. And then they get caught in that, you know, that, um, that like void of like, oh, well it's going to come back down. I don't want to put in insulin and make myself low. And they just start staring at the high blood sugar and waiting and waiting and waiting. And before you know it, mm-hmm. they're they're super high. They don't have any idea how to bring it down. And eventually they are going to cause a low because it's going to take so much insulin to break it free. Um, so yeah, I'm, I like using insulin sooner to avoid highs. Um, I also mm-hmm. like it because it, it often means you're using less insulin, which should result in fewer lows later. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. That's just how I think about it. Yep. Sounds like I have two too. meals that I haven't figured out and it's, I like, cottage cheese. I know a lot of people don't. And I, in the morning, sometimes I'll have some cottage cheese on the side of some, a piece of toast. And I'm like, I don't care what I do at this point. I haven't figured that one out. It's going to shoot up to 180. And I'm like, I keep bringing that pre-bolus earlier. And I, and oatmeal, oatmeal is like the greatest food, but I'm, I have not gotten that one to quite work out right. So I'm like, mm, we're going to keep playing. I'm not going <laughs> to let it win. <laughs> Just keep keep fighting and trying. One day you'll find it too. One day you'll find yes. the measure and mix of 
you know, uh, pre-bolus and amount and you'll just be like, oh my God, it yeah. worked. And that's it. Then, you know, you'll be like sick of, you'll be sick of oatmeal because you tried it so many times to figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, but those, yeah. those, like I've figured out most of the foods, but those two are still my little uphill climb, but I'll figure it out. Good for you. Well, Monica, this has been terrific. I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking to me like this. I, I had a really good time and, um, I, you have a lot of, uh, wealth of knowledge and, and perspective. And I appreciate you sharing it with everybody. Well, thank you for letting me. It's been really enjoyable. And um, I enjoy listening to all of your interviews. Thank you. Well, I think people will enjoy this one as well. Thank you so much to InPen from Medtronic Diabetes for sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Please remember to head over to InPenToday.com if you'd like to learn more about that insulin pen that talks to that app through Bluetooth. I also want to thank U.S. Med and remind you that you can get a free benefits check right now at usmed.com forward slash juice box or by dialing 888-721-1514. I'd also like to thank Monica for coming on the show and sharing her story. And thanks to you as well for listening, downloading, subscribing, and sharing the Juice Box podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast.